Good afternoon. Welcome to the weekly edition of The Wrap. I'm Laura Leslie, WRAL Capital Bureau Chief. And I am WRAL State Government Reporter Will Doran. And we are officially in election season. As of today, the absentee ballots went out the door in North Carolina. So that means people are going to be able to be starting to vote. Yeah, there are 5,000, more than 5,000 people who have already requested their absentee ballots. So uh, props to them for thinking ahead. Uh, I have uh, not thought that far ahead myself, but uh, I guess I need to figure out how, how I want to vote this year. It's like it's only January. It's like I'm not thinking about that. But one thing that you should think about, um, and this is something that I heard um, some discussion about uh, at Wake County when they were talking about the the, the election that we had late last year. Um, the new photo ID law calls for you to send a copy, a photocopy of your photo ID in with your ballot. But it has to go in a separate envelope on the outside, not with a ballot. Yeah, the, the rules for voting by mail are changing a lot this yeah. year. Um, you know, the... In the past, there's been kind of a grace period after the election, three days or so, um, to get your ballots in. That has gone away. Um, now you need to make sure to mail your ballot in well before election day for it to get counted. There's, you know, you're going to have to copy your ID and, you know, uh, and make I, sure the copy is good. Like somebody sent a, a photocopy, and they cut off part of it, and they're like, "We can't take that." Right? Yeah, you got to be yeah. careful. And you know, I mean. Uh, speaking for my fellow millennials out there, like who has access to a copier? <laughs> <laughs> All right, as I'm, I'm not a boomer. I'm an Xer, but I do, in fact, have a functioning printer at home. Although it it gets used like twice a year, maybe. But yeah. Uh, but anyway, something to think about if you're thinking about requesting that ballot is just keep keep in mind to read the instructions carefully and ask questions if you don't understand what the changes are. So. In the meantime, um, speaking of campaign season, President Biden was here yesterday. No, it was a presidential visit, not a campaign visit, but you could easily be forgiven for confusing those two things because he talked a lot about um, broadband, which was ostensibly the reason he was in Raleigh, was to unveil this additional $82 million um, in funding, which is going to help to connect 16,000 more homes in, in North Carolina. I mean, that's the thing is that's on top of a $1.5 billion already. So really, it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, it, this was not a huge announcement. It's, it's clearly change. just an yep. excuse to get to a, an important swing state as the elections are heating up. Right. And, you know, and try to change the narrative a little bit. You know, I mean, for years, you know, Republicans have been hitting him on inflation. And inflation has been up significantly. I mean, no one's disputing that. Um, but, you know, Biden says, look, all these other economic indicators are also good. You know, job creation has gone way, way up since he's been in office compared to Trump. And, you know, the stock market is doing well. So uh, he has tried to kind of rebrand that as uh, Bidenomics. But if you're a worker who does not have stocks, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and maybe like, for example, I saw polling that came out today that said most worker, the workers are not afraid of losing their jobs because they know the labor market's tight, right? So employment numbers don't really mean very much. What they're worried about is inflation. Yeah. Because you deal with that every time you go to the grocery store. Right? Yeah. And I mean, if you look at polling, that is the number one issue that people are thinking about. Right. Um, you know, when, when pollsters say, hey, just open any question, you average Joe, like what is top of mind to you? It's like a fifth of people, a quarter of people say inflation. And, I, you know, I'm not sure anything else even gets above 10%. Right. So, I mean, that is one thing you can sense that they're trying hard to sort of retrack their messaging on because for a while the Democrats messaging seemed to be it's not a problem it's not really a problem and it's like that's not working you know and we talked to a bunch of really smart people like Mike Walden Mike Bitzer um, about 
you know, how this is working for the Biden administration, almost to a person, they all said they have got to retool how they are, how they're putting this. You know, it's got to be a we realize it's a problem, but it's getting better, which is the message that we heard yesterday from Biden on the stage over there at Abbott's Creek. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, um, you know, then he goes and uh, gets his uh, milkshake at cookout with uh, Governor Cooper, which you know it's 40 degrees out and they're getting milkshakes. But uh, uh, hey, if you love a milkshake, you love a milkshake. That's true. But, you know, then that opens up, you know, the the obvious Republican response. They go and they look up cookout prices and they say, hey, when Biden took office, you know, cookout prices were 28 percent lower than they are right now. There's your inflation. You know, so just kind of, you know, setting up for that yep. continued line of attack there. Yep. So anyway, um, Biden is, has departed. But of course, we have not seen the last of him by any long shot, I don't think. Uh, in the meantime, Cooper seems to be stepping up his surrogacy a bit. You know, yesterday he came out and gave a great pitch for Biden on the stage. He said, you know, I, I would rather have a president who gets up in the morning thinking about the American people than a president who gets up in the morning thinking about himself was the biggest applause line that he got. And I think we're probably going to hear that on a weekly basis from now till November. Yeah. But um, but anyway, so he is going to be doing another event next week in Charlotte on Monday. And this is um, commemoration of the 51st anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision. So they're going to be um, holding a, a press conference with a couple of uh, legislative Democratic leaders and a bunch of healthcare workers down in Charlotte to draw attention to that. And so that's another sort of key pillar of the Democratic strategy because they know that a lot of the suburban women voters that they need to get if they're going to win the state are, are people who care a lot about that issue. Yeah. I, you know, we said inflation is kind of the number one issue. Abortion is number two. And that's going to be the top thing for, for Democrats to push and, you know, say, hey, you know, North Carolina, like the General Assembly did pass, you know, this new uh, basically 12 week cutoff for most abortions. But a lot of Republicans want to go further than that. And if they win the governor's office or if they win more seats in the legislature, you're going to get even stricter abortion bans. So that is going to be kind of the main message for for Democrats uh, this election season. Right. Um, in the meantime, lots going on in the election world this week. Um, well, first, well, yeah, I did a couple stories this week about election challenges. One was the GOP was trying to get a candidate, a GOP candidate off the ballot in Rockingham County. And this particular candidate, Joseph Gibson, um, uh, basically they said he was a neo-Nazi. He says he's not a neo-Nazi. He says he's never been a member of a neo-Nazi group. But there are a lot of things on his webpage, his, his social media presence that would make you think that perhaps he was. Yeah, he says a lot of those screenshots are fake of him talking about Jews and things he like that. He told me that he didn't post any of them. I said, are you saying you didn't post any of them? He said, I've, I've never posted nothing. He said it was all trolls. It was generated by trolls. Yeah, I should note that uh, the Board of Elections in Rockingham County, even as they voted to let him on the ballot, did also note that they don't find his testimony to be necessarily credible. um, And they don't believe that he always tells the truth when he's talking about things. Um, And, you know, I've I've talked to some Republicans who have, you know, done some deep dives into his podcast and say there's disturbing things there. We haven't really done that ourselves. Um, I've listened to enough of it to know. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, no, they said, you know, the State Board of Elections voted unanimously. And that's important here because the Republicans actually made the motion to keep him on the ballot. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, it's not a question of what his 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 views may be, because that's protected by the First Amendment. Right. It's a question of is he eligible to run? And it appeared that according to Connecticut law, which he was able to cite, uh, once you've finished, you know, all of your everything, you, your rights are automatically restored. It's not a petition state 
where you have to go and right. get your petition. So he wouldn't have any paperwork to show that his rights had been restored because that's not required. Yeah, and in the end, it seemed pretty obvious to all the boards that heard this question that he is an eligible voter. Um, and I mean, clearly, Republicans just wanted him off the ballot because of his Nazi views, and they were, you know, trying to kind of reach on the felony issues. And in the end, that didn't work out. He's going to be on the ballot. Um, and you know, talking to GOP operatives who are kind of leading this push, they're just worried that you know Democrats are now going to point to him, you know, and say, "Oh, well, look, you know, X percent of Republicans back a you know alleged Nazi." Well, I also wonder about, you know, something that Gibson said, which is that he was targeted because he uh, is opposed to casinos, which, of course, he's in the county of Phil Berger, who is really in in favor of casino expansion in Rockingham County. But a lot of people there are not. We've heard from some of them who've come to the legislature to do press conferences about this. And I wonder to what extent there may be some concern about the fate of the incumbent if that becomes a campaign issue. Now, uh, Reese Pertle, who's the incumbent, has only served one term. So he's not a longtime incumbent with a, you know, with a ton of name recognition. Um, but they never were put to a vote on that. So it seems like the kind of thing that you could deflect fairly easily. Right. But, um, but um, you know, there may be concern about that issue because there seems to be some serious concern in, in Rockingham County. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, we saw a huge protest, not just in Rockingham County, but a lot of them drove into the legislature, you yeah. know, and protested outside. And you know, it's it, it's clearly an, an issue that motivated folks there. Yeah. And then should also mention another challenge to the ballot. And this was um, something that the legislature allowed to happen or facilitated, I should say. Um, Johnston County, last year, legislators decided that the school board races, although they would remain nonpartisan, would be residency district based. So for a long time, the school board was an at-large race. So it was the top vote getters in the county. Whatever their party was, it was not partisan. Um, They decided to break it down into residency districts. So even though it's still everybody in the county votes for you, you have to live in a district, a specific district. Um, and that's a fairly common thing. A lot, you know, it's not unanimous across the state, but a lot of places yeah, run their local it, elections like that. It ensures geographic diversity on the school board, right? Yeah. Um, but what it also does is make it possible to challenge one person on the school board instead of going up <laughs> against a slate, right, to see where right. you fall. And the person that got challenged was Ronald Johnson, who got a, a primary challenger, um, Mr. Marshburn. So. Ronald Johnson, if the name isn't familiar to you, is a, is a Johnson County School Board member who is currently out on bond for felony extortion charges. Um, he tried allegedly to blackmail um, Devon Barber, who was a congressional candidate in 2022. Um, so he was uh, indicted for that. Um, Which is notable since he's also a former Smithfield police officer. Right, I mean, got, for the cops to indict one of their own, that usually takes a lot of, you know, Right. Well, he got fired from that job. And then on the school board, he was censured for sexual harassment and for secret recording. Um, And so basically, like you look on the the website, like all the other members of the school board have schools that they're assigned to. He doesn't have any schools assigned to him. Right. So anyway, so he's kind of I think ever since he tried to allegedly blackmail a fellow Republican, uh, I think he's kind of had a target on his back. And so this change to the Johnston County districts was made kind of late in the session last year, but it definitely made it possible for David Marshburn to move from a different part of the county into that part of that district so that he could challenge him directly. And if you go on Facebook and look at the web pages on this, there is some intense personal beef here. I mean, it is like call out name calling 
it's you know it's crazy stuff. So yeah, I mean, I mean you know people think that the legislature can get nasty. I oh mean, no, small town politics are way worse. Yeah, <laughs> way worse. And Joko may be the worst of all. Yeah, Joko is pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that's definitely one to watch. There are also two Democrats in that race, um, and you know the thought was that um, you know it 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 it, it is. It's an at-large, right? So it's probably going to be a Republican that's going to win, you know. But we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, it could be could be interesting. Well, while we're talking scandals, um, I wanted to bring up kind of something on the opposite end, a scandal that actually got resolved this week, and that was um, the ethics investigation into Supreme Court Justice Anita Earls. Uh, she's one of two Democrats on the seven-member court, the only black member of the court, and she had been facing an investigation by the State Judicial Standards Commission, uh, basically like an ethics watchdog for judges, um, over comments that she had made about racism and sexism that she had uh, experienced while a member of the court. She said even sometimes from fellow justices. And uh, there are you know rules for judges in North Carolina that you're not supposed to basically impugn the credibility, the trustworthiness of the justice system. That seems to be more honored in the breach. Because think about all the campaign ads that you've seen. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And that that was kind of her argument that, you know, she, one, has a First Amendment right to speak her mind. And, you know, that, in fact, you know, calling out bad behavior doesn't, you know, hurt the system. It hopefully helps the system improve. That was kind of her argument. But also, yeah, that, you know, you see all of these really nasty political campaigns a lot of the time for for judges, you know. Calling each other impartial, saying, impugning each other's uh, exactly. integrity. Right? And on, you even see it in written rulings sometimes, you know, um, you know, especially recently with the Supreme Court as right. it's gotten kind of a little bit more knives out there and, you know, on these political cases, they'll accuse each other in their written rulings of, you know, making, you know, judgments based on politics. Or being not, hysterical. Right. Or, yeah. Right. Not following the law, making, you know, poor legal choices. And so, you know, she was saying that she was kind of being singled out. Now, I have to say, we don't know if she's been singled out. You know, these sorts of investigations are confidential, and she actually chose to make hers no longer confidential so that she could sue. So it could be that other people are being investigated as well. We we just don't know. Um, however, uh, that all ended this week. The commission announced that they were dropping their investigation into her. Nothing recommended, no discipline. And in return, she is dropping her lawsuit. You know, obviously, it's uh, you know always a little embarrassing and awkward when you have a state Supreme Court justice suing the state government and, you know, kind of everyone airing their dirty laundry and making all sorts of accusations against each other, especially when the whole point of the rule is to stop those sorts of accusations from flowing. So I think everyone was happy to just kind of drop this and, and let it go and let just it end. move on, right? Um, so you've been following um, District 6, the 6th Congressional District, pretty closely. And that followed a surprise um, endorsement in that, uh, that by, uh, by uh, President Donald Trump. What, I think it was like, like last month, was it, or earlier this month that he came out and endorsed Addison McDowell, who is the brother of Chess McDowell. He's a, he's a lobbyist, um, but not somebody that we even knew was running at the time. Right. I don't think he had announced his campaign, and Trump chose to endorse him over Bo Hines, who he had endorsed for congressional seat in 2022, the right. ancient history of the last election, and also over Mark Walker, a former congressman from that area who served multiple terms in Congress before he basically lost his seat due to redistricting, redistricting yeah. when they were forced by a court to redraw some of the lines. Um, and so, you know, 
people kind of said, who? But, you know, Trump picked this guy instead of those other two. And then all of a sudden, I mean, you know, there's a, a, an announcement of a fundraiser later this month being headlined by State Senate Leader Phil Berger. And on the announcement, I mean, it's just a lengthy list, you know, a couple dozen names, maybe more, of really prominent, influential Republicans. And so people said, oh, okay, all right, I guess I guess this uh, Addison McDowell guy has uh, has the GOP behind him. And, you know, it's, it's people in the MAGA wing of the party. It's people in the establishment wing of the party. Huh, that's interesting because, you know, for a while, I mean, I remember doing stories in 2022 about whether or not Trump's endorsement was a good thing or a bad thing because he had so many endorsees that lost their races, Bohines included. Right. Um, you know, but it's interesting that two years later – um, as public favor for him seems to be picking up, at least in the party, uh, that it seems that we've all decided or they've all decided that that's a, that a Trump endorsement is a good thing. And so they're. they're yeah, I mean, I think the conventional wisdom of 2022 is that Bo Hines lost that race because he was endorsed by Trump. I mean, that was a Republican leaning district that Democrat Wiley Nickel ended up winning. And it was largely on the strength of his you know, campaigning against Hines as tied to Trump and too extreme. Um, but now, you know, you have the Republican Party fully behind the Trump endorsement in in this district. And it, it's a really red district. I mean, whoever wins this GOP primary is going to go to Congress. Um, I think it's a Trump plus 20 kind of district. Oh, geez. Um, and it, it's the f- district formerly held by uh, Kathy Manning, uh, Democratic uh, representative. But uh, she's not running again because it's just unwinnable for a Democrat. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if it's a sign of... Maybe it's, you know, just Trump's sway in the GOP. Like you said, you know, he's kind of come back into favor with a lot of voters. Maybe it's also a sign of, you know, just uh, some hard feelings still left for Mark Walker. Uh, You know, he's trying to mount this comeback. Obviously, he got to Congress in 2014 by beating Phil Berger Jr. Oh, uh, I forgot about that. In a GOP primary. And now this fundraiser for his main opponent is being headlined by Phil Berger Sr. Well, you know what they say, elephants never forget. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't, maybe it's a little bit of both. Um, but I, I think that's going to be a really interesting primary to watch because, again, whoever wins that primary is going to be gonna one be of our new members of Congress. Speaking of interesting primaries, I don't know if you've been watching on uh, watching the TV lately, but if you are in the 13th district, you are seeing a lot of ads right now. And that's for that 13th seat. So that one's wide open and that was also redrawn. As you said, it's another one of those like Trump plus 20. Right. Uh, district. So whoever wins this primary is pretty much going to win, probably. And there are 14 Republicans running in that primary? Something like that. Yeah. And so for a while, the only one you saw up on the air was Brad Knott, uh, former, he's a prosecutor, a former prosecutor, uh, who came into this, I assume, pretty well funded if he was up on the air first. But now we're seeing Fred Von Cannon is up on the air and Kelly Daughtry is now running ads. Mm-hmm. Well, and also in that race is uh, Devan Barber, the aforementioned uh, target of that alleged blackmail scandal who came in, I think, second place in the primary in 2022. Right. So, yeah, so that is anybody's ball game down there. Yeah, yeah. You, you talk to, to GOP insiders about that and they really have no idea who's going to win that. It sounds like of the 14, there's about six or seven who are considered real serious candidates. and But, you know, I mean, with that many people on the ballot, anyone it doesn't take could much. Win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> doesn't take much. All right. And then I think, well, <clears throat> yeah, a story I'm working on today is, um, oh, yeah, um, the video. So I don't know how many of you have been paying attention to the price or the, the sorry, the homeowner's rate hike increase uh, that has been proposed by the Rate Bureau. Well, our viewers and listeners definitely have because we've gotten a lot of calls and emails about this. And yesterday, Commissioner Causey put out uh, a uh, a video that felt a lot like spin control to me. What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, you got the insurance companies asking for a uh, average forty two percent increase. In some areas, it would be, I think, nearly a one hundred percent. Yeah, ninety nine percent increase. I'll buy the coast uh, to people's insurance rates. And as you might imagine, people who own houses uh, don't want that to happen. And I'm concerned about that. And, and you know what? This is all happening in the middle of a primary. Uh, Kazi is running for re-election because yes, we elect the insurance company commissioner here in North Carolina. Um, and he's got a, a couple of different Republican challengers. And, you know, it seems that he's kind of taking this opportunity uh, to come out with this video now. Well, I think it's interesting because I've, you know, I've covered North Carolina politics since 2004. And this is how they've always done rate increases. This is, it's a method prescribed by law from 1977 that the rate bureau uh, submits its proposal and then when the rate bureau, then the rate bureau um, proposal is taken in, and they had public comment on it, and then they all go behind closed doors and they negotiate, and they come out, and the commissioner gets to pat himself on the back because he's negotiated it down from whatever crazy thing they wanted down to something that is smaller but still enough, right? Right. Everyone gets a win. The companies get to increase their rates. The politicians get to claim the win of knocking them down a little bit and not letting them get away with as much as they wanted. Right. It's kind of kabuki, right? right? Okay. But in this case, I'm wondering if it's backfiring, right? Because this rate increase proposal was so big and it came right on the heels. I mean, ballots went out today, guys, you know? Yeah. And you can't, I mean, if you're a, if you're a homeowner, you may not understand how the rate bureau works, but you know who the commissioner of insurance is because that person is on the ballot and the insurance companies are not, right? Um, so it was interesting that this video came out in which he's saying really clearly, the rate bureau is not part of my department. It is not part of state government. It's outside of state government. If you're unhappy about this, send us a message, send us an email. Um, it just felt like damage control to me. Well, and he's gotten the messages oh, from yeah. people. Uh, 8,600 messages as of today. That compares to the last homeowner's rate increase, which was proposed back in 2020. That was a 24% proposal that got knocked down to eight. They got 1,000 emails about that, 8,600 as of today. Wow. That hearing is Monday at 10 o'clock. It's from 10 to 4.30 at the Department of Insurance, um, notably during times that people who work cannot come. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to point that out. Um, trying to go make money to to pay your mortgage to pay and your, your insurance. To pay your insurance and, uh, bill. And, uh, but I'm assuming, or I, let's put it, I, I would expect that's probably going to be a pretty entertaining meeting. I'm um, going to be yeah. a lot of folks there to speak. Uh, and they've also set up an email address just for people who want to send in email um, comments about it. So, I mean, you know, if they really want to negotiate that rate down and, you know, they say they do, they should have plenty of ammo to go into those negotiations with. Yeah. I mean, next week is going to be packed. You've got that meeting. The legislature's coming back with several different committee meetings. I mean, it's going to halfway feel like we're back in session. Yeah. You know, they're going to be talking about education, about HOA reforms. Um, I wrote some about that last week. Uh, I think there's a natural disasters and hurricanes oversight That's the meeting. week after. But oh, yeah. that's the week after. Yeah. Okay. okay. But no, on, on Monday also, there's a, I guess there's a protest um, out in front of the legislature because Monday, as I, as I noted, is the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade. So we'll be seeing, I suspect you'll see something going on in pretty much every city and every swing state on that one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've already been getting the emails from the, the Democratic Governors Association uh, who oh, wants yeah. to uh, highlight you know things that the Republican candidates for governor here have said about abortion. So it's things are heating up and it's only going to continue heating up. Uh, you know, Early voting starts in uh, mid-February, but mail-in voting is underway as of right now. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us, unless you have something extra that you wanted to slip in there. Nope. Nope. Let's oh. do it. All right. Well, stay warm. 
this weekend. We know it's going to be cold. And we will probably see you Monday at one of the many events this week uh, here on The Wrap. And we'll catch you up on what happens next week. Stay tuned.